Well, hello there. Welcome to Biblical Chili. Now listen, the cruise is just about to start, but let me fill you in on a few details if you've never been here before. You see, we speak openly about the Bible and our daily walk with Christ, and it's our continuing prayer that we help you grow closer to Jesus every day. Now, you might be wondering why it's called Biblical Chili. You see, around this table, we have people from all walks of life, different histories, backgrounds, different futures, even different religious views. But even with all these differences, that shouldn't hinder us from carrying on a conversation. And you stepped in at a good time, too, because the Chili Crew is walking through the Bible from cover to cover. And right now, they're in the book of Exodus. Moses talking to a burning bush, plagues, Exodus out of slavery, and the Ten Commandments. Woo, this gives me the collywobbles just thinking about it. On this episode, the Chili Crew is going to be talking about the first chapter in the book of Exodus, and a little bit about the history to start off with. Okay, so uh, chapter two here in Exodus, we just left. Pharaoh told everybody to throw the kids, all the boys, into the Nile, but let all the girls live. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket. A basket made out of papyrus. Papyrus. Mine says bulrushes. Maybe it's the same thing. Mine's wicker, which is a lot more easy to understand. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Susanna. Wicker. We'll go with wicker, Tom. A a wicker basket. My furniture in my patio. (laughs) Is this happening during... The word killing all the children, is that, that's what it sounds like yeah, to me. Yep. So they are, they're stealing all the boys, and she was trying to hide him. Now, he was a fine child. What do you guys think it meant by that? He was a fine child. No deformities. No yeah. deformities. Mine says he saw, he saw that, he was, that he was good. Mine says beautiful. So I guess I guess just just a positive comment all around. Yeah, and I think that a, a, a good or a fine child means that he uh, was relatively quiet, non-colicky, <laughs> easier to hide for three months. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, that's actually a really good point. How are you going to hide a baby for three months? Like, right. they didn't live in, you know, like a three-story home with, you know, two or three bathrooms. and You know, that they didn't do that. It right. was just, it was Sound- like a, stu- a small studio apartment made of, you know, rocks and, and mud and, and straw. See, soundproofing is not a thing back then. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, see, I was thinking more along the lines of, um, like, God created this thing and it was good. Like, as in, like, it's going to achieve its purpose. So, like, she saw this baby and saw that it it had a purpose it was going to achieve. <laughs> I mean, that's... Well, you also that... got to think, though, like, right now, aren't they being slaves? So, the malnutrition and other things of either the women or the men could actually make a big difference in the birth of that child. That, that actually may, might be a good point because you got to think about the malnutrition, the hard labor and the other things that are going on at this time, it will greatly affect that child. Well, it says earlier um, that, you know, the people multiplied and were very mighty, like, the, when the midwives were delivering, you know, so it's like these women are so robust, you know, they just drop these babies out like flies so fast, like, and that they were, they were very mighty. So I feel like they, 
um, they all were honestly being blessed from the faithfulness of those, those woman midwives who were trusting in God over, over trusting in, you know, Pharaoh's command. They are defying Pharaoh to protect life. Right. And so they're kind right. of, they're kind of making up stuff, but we see over and over again that God puts life above all else. So even if they, they lied in order to be obedient to God versus be obedient to something that directly contradicted what they thought was right. You know, he was still, you know, impressed with them and God was good to those women because the midwives feared God. He established households for them. All right, I'll continue on here. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a wicker basket and coated it with pitch and tar. She placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what... Wait a second, wait a second. Um, Okay, so I wasn't with you guys when you guys read through the beginning of Genesis. But I don't... So, And I, I don't think listening back that this is something that you guys necessarily picked up on. The word covering... So here, like it says, she covered it with tar and pitch is the same word as atonement. So atonement means covering. So we see this pattern all the way from the beginning. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and covered them. And then he sends them out into the world, right? The next time we see this is with Noah when he instructs him how to make the ark and then the very last thing he has to do to the ark is cover it with tar and pitch i'm pretty sure the exact same two things yeah it says cover it with pitch on the inside and the outside right so he has to cover it. so he has to atone the boat with tar and pitch inside and outside before it gets put into the water you know out into the world so something about that covering protects the boat from all the destruction that's to come. And then we see here with Moses that she got him a basket, which sounds a lot like the boat, (laughs) covers it with tar and pitch. So they atone it. And then she puts it into the water out into the world. So we've already seen the same pattern over and over and over, like three times already. And we see it Many more times. Do you think God's trying to say something, Susanna? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I think that's something that we should be looking for because I think atonement, too, is one of those words that it's kind of hard to understand exactly what it means. And this is the foundation for what that means. So what we've seen so far is that it is a covering that you get before you go into the water or go into this trial to protect you from something. So I just really wanted to point this part out because otherwise we just read over it probably like it got read over, you know, the other two times in Genesis. But now when it comes up again in Exodus, we'll know what to look for. She's trying to say we missed something guys. I know she's calling us out again. (laughs) She she wasn't here during that time. (laughs) Okay. Continuing on to verse four. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. 
She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the women took the baby and nursed him. Wow, it's so amazing that this woman, you know, trusted. Like, she she took this leap. You know, she... she um covered the baby, put him in the water, and then she it ends up going to the pharaoh's daughter, the pharaoh the one who made the rule to kill all the babies, and somehow the pharaoh's daughter wasn't like, hey, this baby should be dead. Like, <laughs> instead, not only is the baby saved, but the mother actually gets to nurse and basically get paid to take care of her own baby. This is probably why Moses, because Moses is the writer of, of this book, this is probably why he puts in there in my in my verse it, it, it in my version it says beautiful child so maybe that's why he put that in there beautiful comely great good so that when it comes to the time of the part of the, this part of the story when she looks upon his face she had compassion on him and and had had a heart like his her heart went out to this child right if you had sound effects it's oh <laughs> Look how cute it is. I still Aww. want to know how this princess like went and grabbed the, the pile of poo that he was in. She didn't. She sent a slave to do it. Hey, go get hey, that. Hey, hey. Sonara, go get that for me. It's crying, your majesty. Oh, man. this We got to do that audio. Dude, that'd be awesome. <laughs> but that, and, and that was actually a really good point, Susanna, about that is that this mother was so blessed by God that this family got paid to raise their own child that they just had and hid in the river illegally and sent it down river. And you see what I like, I don't know, just the way that God works is just so, so interesting when it comes to that. You know, that even, even the men had lost heart, you know, they, they, you know, they were killing the children and they weren't the ones that stood up to it. It was the woman who stood up to it. That's right. That kind of is what prompted this whole thing that, you know, if, if they didn't have that faith and stand up, then they, they wouldn't have saved Moses. And they so like God pulled them out of Egypt because the ones that had the faith were these super strong women. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he be, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. There's a a little bit of a misnomer about this. When I was taught about this story, about Moses, it sounded to me like, oh, well, he just hired this woman to nurse until the child was one or two. He was not. The weaning age of a child is like 12. So this mommy got to raise her son until he was basically a teenager. Now, let me, and get paid. Thank you, Sally. Now, let me just ask a question. Do you think that this mom instilled her son with, at the time they didn't have scripture, but with all of the promises of Abraham and the prophecies and the wonderful stories of Israel and what God did through him and Sodom and Gomorrah and everything that had happened up to this point, I think that she would have taught him 
all about this stuff and my person, and this is just my personal opinion, maybe get you guys' opinion on it. Personally, I believe that this is why Moses, the first, what, 40 years of his life or so, or, or six, no, 80 years of his life, he's really headstrong. I think that's why, because I believe that he thought he was the coming Messiah because of the miracle around his own birth. Because that prophecy was given to Abraham and was passed down through generations, I think he got a big head. Because let's face it, he is a Christ-like figure. Moses is, if you know the whole story, because he did bring salvation, but he was he was like a he was a quasi sub messiah. Like he wasn't saving the whole world; he was just saving some people that God sent him to save. Go ahead, Tom. Well, I I don't know if it'll be verbatim. It says that they're Levites. Their parentage killed a, an entire city. I think that he was told some of it, but probably not as in-depth as what we're thinking because a lot of it was probably lost to time. Because at this point, no one is alive. Even The Pharaoh wasn't even in power that Joseph meant to. And Right, that was three Pharaohs ago. Right. You know, And so I think that they are hearing what could be contributed up as like myths and legends and possibilities. And he only had until he was 12. So I think that she tried to instill as much, but I don't know what, I think maybe the, the being raised in the Pharaoh's household from here on out might shape, you know, any kind of a, a backbone or a sense of entitlement I, I would question that only because of what's coming up next about him killing the Egyptian. In Egypt at this time, if any murder was, if, if you killed somebody, it was instant death. Like there's no question about it. Why would he, if he was influenced so much by Egypt, why would he care if a slave was beat? That's why I think his mom, something she told him stuck. And I think he ran with it or whether it was positively or negatively, that's not the point. It's, I think he knew something that led him to believe that he could be the savior that they've been talking about. Because otherwise, and, and you're going to, you're going to read this in just a minute, but he actually kills an Egyptian for beating, just beating a Hebrew. Well, speaking of that, let me continue on. Verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked one, he asked the one in the wrong, "Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" The man said, "Who made you ruler and judge over us?" Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, What I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to, water, they came to draw water and fill up the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. That, that's the only reason I, I, well, not the only, because there's several reasons later on in his, in his life. I think the man was headstrong. Like, I think he often wanted to 
do what was right with his own power. My, my question here is, I'm thinking of, of more of attachment. You see, he was only able to live with his mom and his family until 12. Basically teenager, yeah. almost, or almost teenager. Then he was now forced to go live with some other family. You know, he, he probably now misses that because he was ripped away from his home that he grew up with and raised with the, um, the pharaoh and the family in there. So now he goes out to see people that they're with family. They're with – Right. So more of an understanding, you know, because he's like, well, I'm attached to my mom. I was ripped away. You guys are family. Why are you doing this? And he probably felt kinship to the one that was being attacked as well, you know, and he can't be with his, his parents. So there's probably a lot of passion there. That's that's why I'm saying headstrong. I think he's 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 got that. I'll take care of it. I'll do it type of thing. And I, I think that's a great point, though, Tom, because if you're raised around somebody for 12 years or raised around, I'm sorry, raised around people for 12 years. And now, mind you, we don't the scripture does not explicitly say that whether the princess visited or not or whether she took him away on the weekends or what, you know, weekend parent type of thing. I'm guessing they probably did once he got to a certain age. But the weaning age is technically 12. So most of his time would have probably been with his mom. So that's a that's a great point, Tom. But to add on to that is, um, no offense, he went from Adobe Hut to the palace. So that's kind of interesting to think about that because now, you know, he sees the other side, how they live, and he's being taught their ways because anybody with royal blood is taught and educated, especially the males. So that's kind of interesting. He went from... Living in a Adobe hut, probably seeing his stepmom every once in a while, like you're talking about. Like, she probably, like, has to go there for, like, three, four times a visit to the palace. And then, so, then it's kind of interesting. No, that, that, and that's a good it. point. I'm sure that had some influence to some degree. Now, what I'm thinking, like, history lesson stuff here is the reverse of what happened to, to Joseph. So, Joseph was raised as a farmer and was forcibly taken from that lifestyle and put into, he worked his way up to uh, the palace. So now, here's Moses in the palace going through a bunch of hard stuff to go live the life of a shepherd. <laughs> yeah, but I'll continue on here. Verse 18. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughters Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom. Poor kid saying i have given a foreigner i have become a foreigner in a foreign land during that long period the king of egypt died the israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to god god heard their groaning and he remembered the covenant with abraham with isaac and with jacob so god looked on the israelites and was concerned about them 
Mine says, and God acknowledged them. So God confirmed their, apparently, their, their, their strife. Uh, time frame, as I understand it, Moses was, for the first 40 years of his life, he was in Egypt. And then the second 40 years of his life, he was in Midian. And then the third 40 years of his life, he was wandering around in the wilderness with all of the Israelites. Does that shine a little bit more perspective here? He's 40 years old. At this point in time? Yep. Is this the end of this little Yeah, this is just chapter two, man. Okay, so you're saying the fact that this is the... You're saying the fact that this is the third Pharaoh, right? Well, this is just, I'm just saying this is like the three instances where it looks like he's trying to, he's trying to do something. Right. No, I was just trying to like get more history on this just for giggles. Because it, it if it is right, this is actually Pharaoh did Joker. Jasher. Jasher. D-J-O-S-E-R. That that's uh, Pharaoh Jasher. That was actually during the time of Joseph. Oh, yep. But it's just I'm just saying this instance of him running away and all that kind of stuff. Um, now, mind you, obviously it's not giving the full story here. We're just seeing one instance where Moses is like, okay, this was an important time in my life. This is when I ran away, and this is why I had to run away. This he had to run away. Now, mind you, he was around. I say around forty. Because he went into the wilderness and went to Midian when he was around 40. And then he stayed there for about 40 years. And then he came back and got Israel. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of all that stuff that happened. So I'm just saying right now, he's not like a 17-year-old young buck that just happened to, you know, get fed up with this guard or something like that. We're talking about a grown man that that or you know maybe nobody knew about it for five years we don't know but i'm just saying at this instance he's a 40 year old man running for his life to midian and gain shelter there right so i'm just trying to gain just give us some perspective here of the moses that we're talking about because we find out that moses this this next 40 years in his life he kind of mellows out a little bit (laughs) Do you, he becomes a little bit more humbled. Do you think that um, he was received for the deeds that he did, or because he was Egyptian? Like, would that did that make it easier? I think it was because of the Sheik of Midian. He was the priest, as as we understand it. Once again, we 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 kind of got to go on a little extra biblical stuff here. He was the, a, a worshiper of the one true God. He was a, a not a descendant, but a relative of Abraham and his family. So by all stretch of, by, by by all means, he would have could have worshipped the one true God, and I suspect he did, because Moses left there knowing the one true God, not just because of his you know involvement with the bush, but with you know because of this influence of being around this guy for forty years. So I think it was just him. I think it was that guy. Oh wow, you saved my daughters, ladies. Why didn't you invite him in? Okay, because I, I was like, it, it it highlighted an Egyptian. I did notice that too. Why did it say Egyptian? It's probably because of what he's wearing. Probably what he's wearing. I would guess. You know, and would would they have even been, um, you know, if he was there as a Hebrew, you know, and now Hebrews are slaves, you know, common knowledge, would that have been like a a red flag? 
you know, because now he's a a stranger who looks like a slave. He's a runaway. You know? So, but now flip the coin. Now he's, you know, an Egyptian prince on the run. What What could we say is the major takeaway from this right here? This this beginning intro to to Moses and this character. I remember the first time I read through this, one of the biggest takeaways that I that I garnered from from this is you see somebody who ends up becoming this Christ like figure, this this tentpole figure that we look back on through the lens of history as as this massive figure within the Bible. And some of the first things that we see him doing are being bullheaded and murdering somebody. You know what I mean? These this is another example of 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 that redemption factor of seeing somebody who could be redeemed, could to use your word, Justin mellow out by, by the power of, of God. Tom, could you just lead us out in a word of prayer? Dear heavenly father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, just uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the lessons that you teach us. And Lord, just pray that, um, those that are, are listening to the story, um, that, it, that it resonates with them, that they understand that uh, even though you, you might come from a, a hard beginning, that God can do great things with the, the, the rest of your life. Lord, just pray that uh, you be with us as we go our ways and be with us until we meet each other again next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, this has been Justin. This is Tom. This is Sully. This is Joe. This is Susanna. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We will see you next week. Bye. Now, listen, just because this is the end of the episode doesn't mean it's the end of the conversation. You can find Biblical Chili on almost any social media outlet. Also, each week, Biblical Chili goes live on YouTube. And if you're not a big fan of YouTube, just search for Biblical Chili anywhere and I'm sure you'll be able to find us. Or just go to BiblicalChili.com. We also want to make sure we give a shout out to one of our co-hosts, Joe, who's a host on BuddyWalkWithJesus.com. Now until we meet again, remember, be part of the conversation. Goodbye. they're still listening? I doubt it. There can't be that many people that listened all the way to the end of the track. Most of them probably skip it. But in case you did, congratulations. You're one of the few. We love you.